house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Immoral act, overpopulation, climate change, rise of neo-fascism. Did you take your Valium? Yes. Why? They're trying a by any means necessary approach. I thought they were done with all that and they were trying to adopt. They're still doing that. They're like fertility junkies. Your best chance for success is with the donor egg. He's out of his mind. There's a lot of positives. Oh, it's easy for you to say. You'll have your genetic contribution. And me, I'm just left out. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's good here, Sandra. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my half-quarter of locks, Joe Reed. It's locks, Of right? Wild Nova. Of Wild Nova. Wild I wrote Nova. it down this time. Okay. Um, I always remember it Is that like a salmon substitute? Too. What is Wild Nova? I am not a lox person, so I don't know. But I would imagine, yes. I, I love a smoked salmon, but like, this will maybe get me shunned from the community. I I don't like it on a bagel, mostly because it's like, yeah, it goes with cream cheese. I really hate cream cheese. I'm very... See, I just like... Cream cheese on a bagel is a perfect is a perfect mm-hmm. delicacy mm-hmm. for me, and I don't need anything else. We've talked about some of like my picky eater behaviors, right? That sure. I don't love soft white foods that aren't explicitly <laughs> cheese, that aren't like queso. Gotcha. That is a very specific niche, but I like that you have articulated it's it. It's why yes. I don't. I mean, or ranch because you know I'm from Ohio. Ranch is fine. Of Hate course. mayonnaise. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I love mayonnaise, obviously. It makes like, me feel like I'm eating some type of um, thing I shouldn't... I don't know. It makes me feel so like So, like, in general, like, spreads are not your jam. Like... A jam a spread, spread, however. I, sure. I, I do like some... But like, a, but, like, a cheese spread or a... Mm, I mean, um, I love a heart... Like, if it's a cube cheese... Like, if it's a... I can slice the cheese, but, like... Right, but not like a... a is fine. I, I, sure. I come around to brie. I'm not, but like a fully spreadable like cheese dip, cheese. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Not a pimento, oh. please. Okay. All right. All right. It We're feels working like this out. We're it figuring has a out globule. Okay. It, you know, are you like a queso fresco person? Oh, are you sure. A... That's lovely. Okay. Interesting. All right. All right. A uh, a mascarpone. Uh, uh, person? Uh, yes, but I don't like cream-filled things. I don't want to be able to bite into... I don't really even like even, like, a jelly donut, because I don't want to bite into something and have it, like, pop out at me like pus. Gotcha. Okay, um, so this is a Unless it's a thing. gusher. Excellent snack. <laughs> uh, gushers are great. We're figuring this out. This is why I sort of, I realized at some point a little while ago that like half of my problem with tomatoes is texture. I just don't like the texture of, of raw tomatoes. Raw tomato is like, booger vegetable. It, it, yeah, it's either you like have, it. you know, the the meat of a tomato, which should be cooked. Like it, it's just, 
I love it's sour things. Way. I love bitter things, but it's just like it's its own thing that I hate. And then yeah. the like other parts of it yeah. is like eating a booger. This is also why like cucumbers is a no. Oh, but pickle that yes, shit. Always, yes, always, but yes. pickle that shit, and I'm 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 into it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I love a pickle. But but even on pickles, like they have to be farther the farther away from being cucumbers, the better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like those pickles that still feel very cucumbery. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Not into it. Um, Very fitting that for such a New York movie, we are having, we're starting with a deli adjacent conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that, Speaking that of which, I don't really love lunch meats in general. I don't love slimy slices of meat. Oh, see, see, here's where we depart. Mountains may depart. And that, what that title was referring <laughs> to was us on this conversation. Uh, speaking of mountains may depart, perhaps, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about our main miniseries? That is Quite literally, week? because I watched a film for our main miniseries won't tell you how but uh i watched paradise now this morning ah. i won't tell you how it relates uh I but i think I people ask. get to do uh once we say what it is anyway spoiler um i watched paradise now his film that like put him on the map and then you yes. know fuck mountains comes after that we've got to do fuck mountain at some point um yes. before we get into private life a movie that i love yes. very deeply very much personal yes. canon cinema uh, one of my favorite movies of the past five years. Um, uh, Jason Robert Brown write a musical about my relationship to this movie over the past <laughs> five years. Um, the last five years is about me and the cinema of the cinema of Tamara Jenkins. Anyway, sure. uh, Joe, this is our last episode before our main miniseries. I'm excited, Chris. I'm excited to get into the next five weeks of the podcast, which are going to be spent on one. It's a, it's a, this is a departure. We it's have a project done... that's stressing me out, I will say. <laughs> it's not a good May miniseries if it's not stressing us out. Uh, but previously, we have just sort of themed our May offerings around a central hub. But it's been, you know, the same type of, you know, episode, traditional episode. We have done themes on the films of Focus Features. We've done a Naomi Watts miniseries. We have done 2003, the, the films of 2003. We've done Entertainment Weekly, which was as much of a departure as we've gone, where those Entertainment Weekly episodes were half about the movie and half about the issue of Entertainment Weekly from that uh, month. But or from We're the going week, to an even larger departure, an even bigger break of the form. I would even say to listeners, for the listeners who love when we go off on, say, tangents about lunch meat uh-huh. and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what type of things we want on our bagel. Yeah. Uh, this is almost entirely departures. Like we're not there's there's an overarching concept to it, but we are uh, going to be constantly backing bouncing around for five weeks. So our main miniseries, we are calling colloquially uh, 100 Years, 100 Snubs. Now, if you ask, what 100 years are you talking about, guys? We're not going to specify that. We're not going to specify. Much you like can't the hold AFI, us down to that. Uh, you know, we know it when we see it. And- <laughs> yeah. It is, uh, you know, it, it is kind of a riff on like AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies. Please do not discourse this into the earth like people do with sight and sound. <laughs> Uh, right and I yes think... no this is not this is not that serious <laughs> um, please but in general the, it's going the to concept be a, f- a five week tour uh, yes. through a history of snubs now it's going to we are plotting this much like uh, we do this show you know it is 
meat and potatoes type of big snubs. It might also be personal canon. It could be uh, unexpected, fun tours through things that we're going to justify what we say are snubs. But we're also going to maybe uh, give some actual nominees the boot while we do that. That's yes, we will be uh, uh, honoring our preferred snubs and then saying which of the actual nominees that year in that category we would have booted out. These are category specific snubs, so we will be able to talk about films that we wouldn't normally be able to cover on this podcast. We can talk about movies that got nominations elsewhere but did not get nominated in a particular category, which we feel like the historical the historical record needs to be corrected, amended, or at the very least talked about. So we're going to do that for five straight weeks. We're going to do 20 snubs a week. We're Perhaps get with into some it. cameo appearances. Perhaps with some cameo appearances from some of our beloveds. Um, we think it's going to be really fun. It's going to allow us to sort of touch on a lot of different types of movies, different types of categories. Sometimes we're going to dig into you know, what was the production design of a particular movie that really deserved to be Oscar nominated and it wasn't. Uh, we're going to try and cover the calendar. We are, as ever, limited by our experience, but we know you love us for that, question mark, or at least uh, give us <laughs> some leeway for that. We're so, going to try to we're going to try to make this fun. We're going to make it, yes. you know, it, not the type of thing that uh, uh, more fun than someone just complaining on the internet and more uh that's our that's the tagline curious. to this up to this podcast more fun than just people complaining on the internet which you that know that is uh, what we sometimes for. we fail at um. <laughs> but listen it's good to have a goal it's good to have something to strive for yeah. so if this kind of thing excites you we are glad we are we uh you're, you're the audience we're going for. If you guys want us to get back to just talking about regular movies, we'll see you in the month of June, and we hope you will be back. Um, this is a diversion, uh, but it's we think it'll be a good Listen, one, so. we are five plus years into this podcast jesus uh we're we're experimenting with the form we are trying yes. something different simply <laughs> yes. because we can't in the month of may yes uh that's our that's our month to get wild and crazy so uh we will hopefully see you here you'll hear us uh, in a week and uh we can start this journey together 100 years 100 snubs cue the orchestral i gotta find like i gotta find a sound clip of just the afi theme music uh that we can maybe throw in there uh, various briefly talking enough. heads from you know afi 100 years 100 movies presentation well you know AFI 100 Years 100 Movies is fully available on YouTube, and I yes. have watched it. Which recently. version is it, though? Is it the first one that they did? The first one. I think the second one is also available, but I watched the first one, which is hosted by Jodie Foster, Richard Gere. There's like three. Oh, and Sally Field. Um, Surprised it wasn't hosted by Carl Malden, sure. because at that point, Carl Malden hosted the like Academy's Greatest Memories video. Yes, yes. Because was he still um, the Academy president when that was made, or was he previously no. an Academy president? He was previously an Academy president. I think he, his run stopped in like the early 90s, the very early mm -hmm. 90s, and the AFI list was mid-90s enough that Fargo made the list. I think Fargo was the most recent movie mm -hmm. to have made the list, so I want to say that AFI... And it was like AFI, in the 90s. That, uh, yeah, it was the like the 90s a, up the ranking, not, you know, just... 
this. Right, uh, right. Yeah. But so I think the AFI 100 movies uh, TV special was 1997. Can you imagine how fucking annoying the internet would have been when the first AFI Uh 100 movies would have been if like Twitter existed? Mm -hmm. I know this is true of everything. That's not a unique or interesting thing for me to say. But like watching the absolute tears and widespread losing of everyone's shit over Jean Dielman topping sight and sound. Right. right. Y'all are stupid. I mean, we're stupid, <laughs> but, you know. So come listen to us next week. And, and have fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yes. The summer should be fun, and so should be the month of May. All right. Um, do we want to transition into uh, private Speaking life? through a journey through time. Yes. yes. Private life. Private life. So... Tamara Jenkins' about- is reflection on time, growth, personal oh longing. Uh, She's getting deep. Seeing yourself she, in she another person. Uh, the thing about Tamara Jenkins is, for all intents and purposes, she's made three feature films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Slums of Beverly Hills, her breakthrough, 1998. Her next feature is The Savages in 2007. So that is, if you're counting, uh, nine years. Then Private Life, uh, not until 2018, which is 11 years. So by that math, we are going to be waiting until the year 2031 for the next Tamara Jenkins movie. If if trends continue. If it's been been five years since Private Life, we're halfway to the next Tamara Jenkins movie. Yes, we can look at that. Although, again, if it goes from 9 to 11, I'm guessing if, you know, trends continue, then it's 13 years to the next movie. So what I'm saying is somebody give Tamara Jenkins just a lot of money with no strings attached and just say, make your next movie <laughs> soon. Well, um, I know it came out, she talked about how, yeah, financing troubles are a thing but also the reason for her delay in making a movie is like it takes her time to figure out what she wants to make a movie about or who she wants to make a movie about um yes and there is there's you know there are elements of the personal in all three of her movies um private life actually the the least of them all i don't know if i had read anything about her specifically going through fertility type stuff before Private Life, but, like, even the thing where, like, the Kaylee Carter character gets uh, into that artist collective at the end of the movie in Saratoga Springs, like, that's the thing that Tamara Jenkins had gone to. Um, The Savages is based in part on her dealing with older family members who had dementia. Slums of Beverly Hills is pretty autobiographical about her father uh, picking up the family. She had been born in Philadelphia, um, picked up the family and moved to Beverly Hills when they were younger. And so there's definitely like elements of herself in these movies, which we love. Um, All three of these movies make, make a good impression on me of like Tamara Jenkins seems like a cool person, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a cool, fun person. I'd like to, I saw the batting average is high. (laughs) It could not be higher. Yes. I yeah, I think it was the Tribeca Film Festival the one year, the year that Tully came out, which would have been this same year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, Tamara Jenkins hosted the Q and A with, um, with Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody at the Tribeca Film Festival that year that I went to, and 
she just seemed like a cool, chill person. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. so th- sometimes those Tribeca Q and A's were really interesting. I remember one year, uh, it was Bryce Dallas Howard interviewing Mira Nair, which was a very interesting conversation and like likable. But it was one of those things where I walked out of there and I'm like, Bryce Dallas Howard has not lived a normal day in her entire <laughs> life. Like it just felt like she just comes from rarefied air, and that's you know just the way it is with some people, and that is fine. Um, I also didn't know before researching for this movie that uh, Tamara Jenkins is married to Jim Taylor. Of, yes. Um, uh, speaking of Paul Giamatti, a, a, a writer of Sideways and Election. And how many of the – just – it was through Sideways? I think so. In terms of the um, Alexander Payne movies? I believe so, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about Citizen Ruth. I think so. I don't know. Anyway, um, Jim Taylor, a very, very uh, talented writer, Academy Award winner for Sideways, I believe, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes I misremember these things as like the way that they should be <laughs> rather than <laughs> they, they are. Um, and it was one of those things where uh, – because that was that year that Sideways and Eternal Sunshine both won the Screenplay Awards? That's Correct. a good year. Great Good year. for you, Oscars in 2004. We don't always get that, so that's pretty fun. Um, so yeah, this is one of your this is one of your movies. This, this is, is one a movie of your for me. I mean, this was I like think your number Tamara two Jenkins. of that year. I want to say, right? huh? This was like your number two of 2018, if I remember. Correctly. It's up there. 2018, I think, is an incredible year for movies. I mean. Yeah. My number one was If Beale Street Could Talk. There's also yes. The Favorite. There's Can You Ever Forgive Me. There mm-hmm. is uh, Corrieta's Shoplifters. Yep. Widows. Widows was my number one that year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A very, very good year for movies. And an interesting year, and we'll get into this too, for Netflix. This was a very pivotal year mm-hmm. for Netflix and their original films, and especially when it comes to the Oscars. This was the year that they made the decision to really get into, like, to to make the full court press on the Oscars. They had been snubbed sort of infamously in 2015 for Beasts of No Nation, which is a good movie, but it is not a movie that I was ever surprised got snubbed by the Oscars because it is really bleak. It is, it's, how do you feel about Beasts of No Nation? Uh, I mean, I think it's a really good movie. Idris Elba is really great. It was interesting that he didn't, I mean, he even won the SAG too, that he didn't get the nomination because even early on in this whole, you know, debate of, Netflix getting into Mm -hmm. the Oscars and such, you know, it never the the exception to the rule always seems to be for performances and actors, you know, the acting branch seems least, you know, uh, of a holdout in regards to considering it a film rather than television or, you know, whatever you want to classify this as. Um, That was also a movie that when did it actually drop on Netflix? It was pretty early, I think. It was either September or October. It played TIFF, because that's where I saw it. And mm-hmm. then I think it opened not too long after that. So yeah, September, October sounds about right. Yeah. 
I'm like, but but like contributing to the weirdness is probably also not really the academy taste. To its... I think contributing to that though was the fact that Idris Elba won the SAG award, mm-hmm. which was an interesting timing thing because the SAG awards were voted on after the Oscar nominations happened, and those mm-hmm. Oscar nominations were the ones that you know uh, the the Oscar so white controversy you know, happened with. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the SAG voters were like, yeah. And, you know, uh, which is not to say that like Idris Elba wouldn't have won the SAG without that controversy, but I think it sort of opened people's eyes a little bit <laughs> to some things. And, and he's incredible in the movie. Um, sure. Yeah. And that was a weird supporting actor year anyway. Um, well, also probably the first, cause that's also the year Mark Rylance won, correct? Or was that the previous And I think year? Stallone wasn't nominated for the SAG is the other thing. Wasn't that the case? I don't remember that, but hold also up, whether he was nominated or not, it should have been a sign because leading up to the Oscars, you know, Rylance was something of a surprise. But oh, yeah. I think the smart people who were like, actually, Hollywood does not care for Sylvester Stallone. Uh, we're catching. Yeah, what so was get up this: the, the SAG nominees that year, Stallone was not nominated. Uh, Idris Elba wins. Also nominated were Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies and Christian Bale for The Big Short, who were also Oscar nominated. Along with them, it was Michael Shannon for Ninety Nine Homes, who had appeared. I think he had also gotten a Golden Globe nomination. I think so, like, he had gotten. I think <clears> he. Got like the, the thing about Michael Shannon is he's gonna get Oscar nominated when there's like no precursor attention right. for it. But when he gets precursor right. attention, he does not get an Oscar nomination. Right. And so 99 Homes was the was the latter. And yeah. then Jacob Tremblay for Room, which feels like a very SAG nomination. They were the ones who nominated Dakota Fanning for I Am Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll nominate a little kid sometimes. And I remember that sort of caused a little bit of like is Trombley going to get an Oscar nomination there was a little bit of a drumbeat there for mm-hmm. that um among people who were predicting but so no Stallone so without the front runner in the field which SAG also did in 2018 the year of private life where they didn't and nominate they Regina King for supporting actress and so it's like who's going to win and it's just like well why not Emily Blunt who is <laughs> not a supporting actress in a quiet place but she's very good in that movie um Yes. So all of which is to say at the other end of the um, plot description, I want to get into Netflix's big uh, sort of strategy Mm -hmm. surge in 2018, because that's a big part of this story. And it's part of part of the reason why this movie, Private Life, kind of got swallowed up by that Oscar season. I'm not sure... Even at at my most optimistic, I'm not sure if Private Life ever had much of a shot at Netflix. This is a movie that really needed to be at a searchlight or One at a million percent. Yeah, I think Netflix is the exact wrong place for a movie like this. And it's interesting because what I also want to talk about that this was an era in like 2017, 2018, where Netflix was giving was you know distributing movies from these revered indie directors and it never it never really panned out until well we'll talk about it but like i think marriage story is the sort of the the 
exception that proves the rule, or maybe like the culmination of Netflix finally figuring out how to market a movie by one of those types of filmmakers, but we'll get into it. There's well, and that's also about. in the middle of Bombback's deal with Netflix, because I'm pretty sure right. he signed a deal to do three movies with Netflix right. initially. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. Um, but we'll talk about that uh, when we get into it. I should... <laughs> tell you i have once again failed to <laughs> prepare a plot description so i'm going to be winging it for this movie which is going to be tough because there's a lot of fertility uh, types and jargons and 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 you i think know, the procedures know we're not doctors here no but i wanna i, I there, there, there's a lot of phases to their fertility journey in this movie so it's going to take up a little bit of time I there's think. also but, time jumps in the movie as well both there's time jumps. There's uh, interesting family dynamics that have to be a little bit like un unknotted uh, <laughs> in terms of who's really related to who by blood and who isn't. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A modern American family. Hey, listen. If we're all we're all connected by our common Russian daughters, uh, Bialy order. So. <laughs> Um, I've, Bialy is another, speaking of going back to deli food stuff, Bialy is another thing that I will never quite understand. Just get a bagel. Just get a bagel. Nothing's Why are you wasting better my than time an everything with bagel with butter. Um, cream cheese, but yes. No, um, no, no, no. A nice salty is, butter on a salty bagel. Okay. That's heaven. I'm more of a salt person I, than you I are. like butter. You're not going to like get me to say an unkind word about butter, so that's fine. Um... But yeah, Bialis, why? Why are you? Why do you exist? <laughs> get at us in the comments. Let's get into this plot description. <laughs> yes, let's, let's get, get into, into it, it before we get into a fight about butter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the motion picture butter. Um, yeah. Oh, God, which I've never seen. Uh, it's surprising. Uh, listeners, we're here talking about the motion picture Private Life, written and directed by the great Tamara Jenkins, starring Katherine Hahn. Paul Giamatti, Kaylee Carter, Molly Shannon, John Carroll Lynch, four or four six timers club participant John Carroll Lynch. As we'll of this episode, it. we will get into it. We're kind of in a moment of talking about all these character actors. We did two Dean Norris episodes back uh -huh. to back. We've yeah. now done two Hetian Park movies back to back, back to where back. she is yep. great in 30 seconds of screen time. Yep. I love. So what is your experience of her beyond, because I know her from Hannibal. She was, she was yes, uh, Hannibal, a lab tech I, on Hannibal. I don't even know if I finished the last season. I got like maybe halfway through it. It doesn't end super well, but no. like it, it reaches. But the but it's one of those shows. It's like Big Love in that way, where the the end of its penultimate season has it on such a peak that one you're like there really yes. is kind of nowhere to go but down from there. But yes, um, yes. love Hannibal. Uh, yes, love her on that. I mean, everybody's great on that show, and uh, of course, showing up for two seconds in a movie and really just making a meal of very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, also starring Siobhan Fallon Hogan, Emily Robinson, and Dennis O'Hare. Dennis O'Hare is so funny in this movie. In a not funny role, but like he brings so much humor to... So annoying. He's he's mm -hmm. f so funny because he's quintessential annoying doctor. 
every time he like will pop up in between in the frame between their legs as they're like having some sort of like either Catherine Hahn or Kaylee Carter is having some sort of procedure done and he'll just sort of like pop up and be that sort of folksy friendly doctor in a way that seems so annoying fist oh, bumping Paul Giamatti after talking about his testicles to him like there is nothing more annoying on this planet than a doctor requesting a fist bump like <laughs> I don't know. You're but talking that's to like, me about my cholesterol, dude. Leave me alone. Uh, Dennis O'Hare is so good. Um, but like, Straight that's men like, stop weaponizing your fist bumps. This is also a movie that, this is not the kind of movie that you often think of as being very directorly, but like, there are like 8 billion choices that she makes in this movie that are like, that are funny, or that are poignant, or that are telling, and... It's all in like the shots she decides to make, right? That's we're the, gonna get into know. it, but like, yeah, she just ha- she why she has such a vision. Why I respond to her as a filmmaker is she has such a point of view of the world, and in each yeah. of her movies, maximizes the full potential to make you see and understand and be entertained or feel yes. seen by her point of view. I'm excited to hear you sort of go go off, sis, about this movie because uh, um, I, I feel like you're going to have a lot to say, and I'm very excited about that. I always have a lot to say about her movies. I love her movies. I wish I had had time to rewatch The Savages and Slums of Beverly mm-hmm. Hills before this, but I did. Not I've been meaning to do a Slums of Beverly Hills rewatch for a while. That is a movie. Uh, it's on Hulu right now. No, it's on HBO right now. In our current Natasha Leone climate, I deeply want to go back and watch that. Did she did one She's of those? Amazing. She's perfect. She did in one it. of those videos. I want to say for Vanity Fair, but maybe not. Sort of like going through her old roles and talking about her co-stars and whatnot. And she mentions that like she and Marissa Tomei are still like in contact pretty often from Slums of Beverly Hills, which I, I love. really want to see another Tamara Jenkins movie with either or both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At yep. the point that they're in their careers now, because would love like, it. yep, it, it it would just be perfect. It would be it would another be. perfect Tamra Jenkins movie. Um, anyway, Private Life premiered at Sundance in 2018. Uh, I it feels like this was the first year uh, that this discourse was happening where people are like all these movies that have distribution already why are they at sundance uh i i like not that i am dissing this movie in any way but what i will say is about it getting like indie spirit nominations and such i'm like even if it's at a low enough budget if a movie is produced by netflix how is sure. that different than if it's produced by warner brothers you know i feel like that's the spirit more than the indie, you know what I mean? If right. we're if we're defining terms, I think uh, Private Life certainly does have the the spirit of an independent film. So I don't yeah. necessarily mind that too much, but I understand what you're saying about. I just like, feel like there is no such thing as an independent Netflix, Netflix movie, movie unless get you. a movie is produced and Netflix buys it, like passing. Sure, sure, sure. 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 Uh, this movie was funded and produced right. by Netflix, set up right. With Netflix by Tamara Jenkins. <laughs> we need to get to this plot description. We're having yes. so many diversions. Anyway, uh, the movie kind of disappeared until uh, New York Film Fest and then premiered on Netflix and in very few theaters. We'll get into mm-hmm. it October 5th, 2018. 
Yes. This was before, this was when Netflix was doing very cursory uh, theatrical runs where they were like literally like Ted Sarandos was holding his nose actively as he was putting these movies. I mean, yes and no, because this is the year of Roma. We're going to get into it. Well, you know. And that's part of the Oscar strategy too. But yes, 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 yes. Because even like Beasts of No Nation, that was a partnership between Netflix and Bleecker Street, and Bleecker Street put it in like Mm, five theaters. Right. But yeah, yeah. Private Life, great Private movie life. that we are going talk to about. talk about. But first, we have to get to the 60-second plot description that Joseph Reed is going to give us. Are you I ready? Am. Yes. Sir? Yes. All right. Then your 60-second plot description of Private Life starts now. All right. Richard and Rachel are a married couple. She's around 41-ish. He's a little bit older than that. They both are sort of New York professionals. He's a theater director. She's an author. Um, they want to have a baby and they've been trying uh, fertility stuff and nothing seems to be working. They've had failed uh, experiences with adoption. Uh, IVF hasn't worked. So the next idea is to get a donor egg. And uh, Rachel is really not into that idea, but she sort of warms up to it eventually, especially when they uh, settle on their niece with an asterisk. We'll get into it. Um, uh, who uh, is Sadie and Sadie's 25 and she's sort of aimless and she wants to donate her egg. And so uh, her parents are not very into it, especially her mother, but the, they go ahead with it anyway. And Sadie is uh, excited about doing this and she's a little bit overzealous and then she gets bad news about some sort of, she's not as, as, as eggy as she could be. And so she takes more of the one hormone and it ends up making her sick and uh, she sort of moves away, and then the the egg implantation doesn't go well with Richard and Rachel, which is very sad. But also, Richard admits he's kind of relieved by it, which is a tense situation. And then nine months later, we see that they get a call from a uh, potential uh, birth mother who may be giving her child up for adoption. And so the last scene we see is they're in an Applebee's, and they haven't even ordered the appetizer sampler, which they really should because they have good appetizer samplers at Applebee's, and they're waiting expectantly, and they're sitting on the same side of the booth because they are together in this, and we don't know if this woman's ever going to show up to, to talk to them about them adopting her baby, but we hope so. 35 Credits. seconds over time, but yeah, I figured. beautifully described. The cut to credits, and it's not even a cut. The, uh, final shot the cre- of this movie, perfect perfect ending to a movie, period. It's, it's, it's one of those things where they don't even play any music, so you, you're not really prepared for the, the directed by Tamara Jenkins credit to start crawling up the screen, and... They're just waiting, and they're there, and we're waiting with them, and we really, really want this for them. Although it's interesting, I don't know about you. Um, me watching this movie, I am very much. I want the best for these characters. I want the best for their marriage. I want them to sort of be there for each other. I often in this movie are like, Maybe just don't. Maybe be okay with not having a kid. I understand that, like that's a we're people who don't personal... want to have children. Yeah, right, right. That's my that's my very specific perspective coming into this. And you know, if you if that is what you want, then that is what you want out of life. But part of me is just sort of like you have such interesting careers and you have an interesting life and you seem to really love each other, even though this particular process is putting such a strain on your marriage. But wouldn't it be fine if you just didn't have a kid? You know what I mean? And just like, and we're a presence in your niece's life and we're a presence in your friend's lives. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know what I mean? And ultimately, 
you know, that's their lives and not my life. And that's that goes for everybody uh, out there I know who wants to have kids. But me, I look at this and I'm like, you know, there are other ways to be happy. I don't know. I well, don't know. no, I, I mean, I think one of the genius things about the movie is it very much feels like the movie understands that some of us in the audience are going to be thinking that, but it, the movie never imposes that on them. Right. The movie also right. allows them to just want what they want, be going on this journey, while also, you know, making space for maybe the audience is going to feel differently or like, well, feel especially like just move on. In terms of making space, I agree with that because, like, there are moments where you're, like, especially with, like, I think Paul Giamatti's character is a little bit more demonstrably ambivalent at times. But sometimes mm-hmm. you even look at Catherine Hahn's character and you're, like, why do you want this? And not, you know what I mean? Just, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't always see why she wants it. And I think that's intentional on Jenkins' part is to give the audience a little bit of room to ask that question. And, mm-hmm. um... And she does end up having such a, you know, nice relationship with Sadie, with the Sadie character, who is, you know, not a baby. She's in her mid-20s by this point. But there is a mentorship that I think happens between Richard and Sadie, too, but, like, Rachel and Sadie especially. And some of my favorite scenes in this are watching Richard and Rachel sort of react to Sadie. Sadie is this sort of very, like... (laughs) knows everything college millennial like nightmare millennial right who like read a thing about how oh wait i wrote down the quote because it's my favorite quote of this entire i mean is she she is she uh is she like elder gen z though in 2018 if she's 25 25 years old in 2018 i think she's still millennial she's probably young millennial but she's probably millennial at that point certainly i think the writing of this character is tamra jenkins sort of like uh this is my experience of people of this age whether it's you know the word millennial is never mentioned good I, i do think it's also a smarter and better movie that it doesn't feel like you know it's it's necessarily judging uh younger millennials or gen z like it's it's not a movie about old people thinking young people are awful or selfish or anything but also allows sadie to sometimes be awful and selfish because she is 25 years old like it is and lets you see and lets you see richard and rachel react to her in a way where you're like I get it, y'all. Like, I, yeah. but well, there's... yeah, because sometimes they are. You cut away to them, and they are absolutely mortified. Or sometimes, you know, something or might like sting a little bit, or something, right? Might, you know, uh, the scene them. at the breakfast. Yeah, the scene at the breakfast nook where where Sadie says, "We look like an advertisement for assholes," and Rachel's like, <laughs> "Are we the assholes, or are we ad- are we appealing to assholes?" And she's so Sadie's talking about like. Oh, it's just, you know, we're having our coffee and we're having our whatever. And she says, I took a media and consumer society course. It was pretty life altering, which like <laughs> I fell out. Like, what a great fucking line. Um, this like college dropout who like can't finish class in person at Bard. By the way, this was Netflix's she gets to uh, finish Bard her degree era. in absentia. I, I'm like, yeah. Why couldn't I be allowed to do that at state school? That's all I wanted in the world. Meyerowitz stories in 2017 also had a young character who went to Bard. So like clearly this was something in the algorithm maybe that was saying that uh that Bard students were were mm-hmm. something that needed to exist in these movies. Um but I love that dynamic between them because she does seem like annoying but good-hearted, right? We're like right. and 
and somebody who and like they're like again they're they work in theater and literature and like they know people like this like they're not totally outside of this they also you know they, they, can they also know see from a annoying. younger version of themselves exactly as well. exactly um, and sometimes rachel feels a little bit implicitly judged by just sadie's existence mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean which i can see you know what i mean like that makes a lot of sense um as somebody who is pretty much exactly the same age as rachel in this movie like i get it uh katherine hahn's tremendous in this movie let's Beyond. let's start with that beyond um, and didn't i mean this is a really really tough best actress year um oh unbelievably in so. terms this was... of just cracking the race period it's do you have your little uh, uh chart uh, i, I love when you up. reference your chart but i mean the sad thing is Catherine Hahn didn't really get much headway beyond the Gothams for this movie. She didn't even get the Independent Spirit nomination, which I think is so interesting because Tamara Jenkins gets the Best Director nomination for Private Life, and yet female lead nominees at the Independent Spirit Awards that year, which, other than the one at the top, which is Glenn Close Not wins for The Wife. Uh, Glenn Close wins wait, for The Wife, on. which like wrong. makes... I was on the wrong page. Yeah. Um... You know, again, technically, yes, the wife is an independent movie, but like the spirit. This is this is the one where like the indie is correct, but the spirit is wrong. Like Glenn Close winning for the wife is against the spirit of the independent spirit awards. But the other nominees were Tony Collette for Hereditary, which I had you know screamed myself hoarse that whole season talking about how great she was in that movie. <laughs> Elsie Fisher for Eighth Grade, Regina Hall for Support the Girls, who was the New York Film Critics uh, winner. Helena Howard for Madeline's Madeline and Carrie Mulligan for Wildlife, who I also fucking loved. So like it's that... a really strong best actress lineup. We all know how I feel about the motion picture The Wife and of all course. of the performances in it. But like that's a really great lineup. That's a and you know, feel how you want to feel about a teen performance like Elsie Fisher's, but I think Elsie Fisher is tremendous in that movie in eighth grade. And I still would have wanted to see Katherine Hahn crack this lineup because um it's God, there's so many things about this performance that I find impressive or heartbreaking or um, just the way the choices she makes in this. I don't know. I think she's maybe her best. Is this her best performance that she's ever given? She's given a lot of really good ones. She's given a lot of really good ones and she's given a lot. I The thing about this performance is and why it's, I think, a bummer that it didn't get more attention and, like, we say that now, being on the other side of the pandemic, when WandaVision is the thing that makes everybody be, like, all caps, neon flashing lights, Catherine Hahn, and, yeah. you know, everybody got a little annoying about Catherine Hahn at that time. So sure. it's like, we're talking about how she didn't get served by this thing, but if you just wait a few years, she becomes everyone's favorite. My favorite thing about that is, while the rest of us were, like, flipping out about WandaVision and Catherine Hahn and WandaVision, is you were the one in your little corner being like, I know this much is true. It's so Pouty, good. Like, she's so good, and I know this much is true. Face. Like, nobody's watching this show, but I'm watching this show, and I think it's great. Because those two came around at the same time, right? Uh, Wait, which show? I know this much is true. Your little, uh, oh your... yeah, um, yeah. 
she she's incredible in that. Uh, that that was also, I think, early pandemic show. Yeah. And of course, no one wants to watch that shit at the beginning of the pandemic. No one here ever I wanted am like with yeah. my little misery popcorn. That's uh, what I mean. That's what I mean. That's that what I love so much about and that. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and especially the performances are tremendous. Um, yeah, she's amazing in that show. Um, yeah, she's amazing in everything. And. I think, you know, and this isn't to diss WandaVision. Everybody can go and enjoy WandaVision, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a bummer you to me that it. that was treated like the culmination of her career. And this feels so much more appropriate for that. And that's a bummer why it didn't get more attention for this performance. Yeah. Because, you know, she's usually a supporting player or doing these bit things. Or if she does get a big showcase, it's like bad moms, you know. And this is a performance, I think, that, yeah. you know, pulls bits and pieces from all of the times she's been great before when she yeah. might be in a nothing small role like Revolutionary Road right. where she is giving 10 times more than the role deserves. And now she gets a real showcase in this movie to do literally all of the things that she has done before brilliantly. But So you know, sort of... Immediately before, immediately before Private Life, she had been on Transparent. She got the Emmy nomination for Transparent, even though she had was mostly a guest star on that show. She wasn't really like a main character on that show. Yeah, I think she but barely made the cutoff to be considered a supporting player because well, she was exactly. a guest player in Rabbi. I think she was nominated for the second season. Yes, I think um, so. But the yeah. season she gets nominated for, she's fucking. Oh, she's incredible. tremendous. She's fantastic. Um, she's never she's never not good on that show. She had, <laughs> Again, recurring themes for recent episodes of this, us talking about transparent. Um, yeah. And then the she was that on that show. With several asterisks, but also has some great Several. Things. Yes. She was also on that show, I Love Dick, which was also an Amazon show around no that one time. That, it. Like, no, but the the critics who did really were impressed by her and really thought she right, was very good right. on it. Um and then film wise, I mean she's made a ton of films, so like not to get but like she's in Captain Fantastic, although I can't remember the nature of her role in that movie. Uh, she's the female lead who is not a child. Gotcha. His wife? I don't remember uh, the plot of that movie as well as I should remember she, the plot of that a, movie. She's the female lead, but yeah. like that's a supporting player, basically. 2016, as you mentioned, is Bad Moms, where she's the she's the wild one of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's very Goldilocks and the Three Bears, right? Where like Kristen Bell is the uptight one, and Catherine Hahn is the crazy one, and Mila Kunis is you know just right in the middle, and she's sort of the sardonic, you know, whatever. Uh, that movie was a success, as far as I remember, so much that they got the sequel the next year, uh, A Bad Mom's Christmas, and then. The same year as Private Life comes out, she's a voice in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. She is uh, Olivia Octavius. She's um, she's really fun. Uh, yeah, she's like one of the best voice performances in a movie with like a lot of really good voice performances. And it's um, it's an interesting like b- Private Life by far gives her the best showcase, I think, for her talents, and then. Right after this, in 2019, she's on an HBO show called Mrs. Fletcher. That like talk about a show that nobody watched, but like I nobody watched, watched it. it. I I, re- I reviewed it for Prime Timer, 
and I really liked it. She's really, really wonderful in it. That's a Tom Parada series. It only lasted the one season. It was only like, it was a short season at that. It was like seven episodes. She's an empty nest, divorced mother who has to sort of figure out has to figure out what to do with her life now that her son is off in college and she, you know, starts having an affair with a younger uh, uh, sort of classmate of her son's actually. And, but also like, you know, finding herself in these, uh, you know, group, I can't remember whether it's a writer's group that she's in. I think it's a writer's group that she joined, something like that. Um, But it's a really good show. And it's again, like a really good showcase for her i want to say nicole holof center directed a couple of the episodes or maybe just the pilot but um worth checking out it's only seven episodes if people want to check that out so it's a fertile sort of no pun intended (laughs) era Mm -hmm. for Catherine hahn in terms of performances but i think private life still stands kind of head and shoulders above. (laughs) she never stopped fucking working basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly and um, then post WandaVision, you have her in Glass Onion. And yeah. I think everybody's immediate response was Catherine Hahn is wasted in this movie. And watching, I felt that to a minor degree when I first saw it. But when I watched it again, I'm not so sure I agree. She just doesn't get to be either the hero, which is Janelle Monet, or the wacky right. one, which is Kate Hudson. But I do think that, like, she serves a purpose in that movie and is good at it. I think my feeling about that is I don't necessarily think she's wasted either. I think there's no there's no sin in being the like fourth or fifth best cast member in a movie like that where like the cast is firing on all cylinders where like Janelle Monet is so good, Kate Hudson's so good, Daniel Craig is so good. You know what I mean? Like that's it's to me I mean, I maybe I, broadly wanted more characterization from all of the characters rather than like what sure. they're supposed to represent in sure. the culture. But yeah. it's still ultimately a think... pretty plotty movie. But yeah. um yeah. Uh no, I think she's good in that movie. And and she's uh, lately um she's in this new show called Tiny Beautiful Things that I haven't gotten a chance to watch yet, but I've heard that she's tremendously good in it, which is not a surprise. That is a show based on a uh, Cheryl Strayed book, which Cheryl Strayed, of course, uh, from uh, the movie Wild. It's also produced by the word and. Right. Uh, the show is produced by uh, Wild stars uh, Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern, among other people. And it's about uh, a woman who becomes an advice columnist, I am pretty sure, is the logline for that one. But uh, I definitely want to check that one out. That one uh, released in its entirety on April 7th. So it's a full eight-episode season that dropped on Hulu. And yeah, you got to check that out because Catherine Hahn rules. So yeah, she's really tremendous in this movie. I also really like Paul Giamatti. I think Paul Giamatti is a good counterpart to her in this movie. I agree. And not, not afraid to make... that much like the Savage. Well, not truly like the Savages, because Laura Linney gets the Oscar nomination and Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't. But Philip Seymour Hoffman got arguably more precursor attention than she did. He, he had the other movie. 
Right. He had the other movie in contention where he had the yeah. supporting thing for Charlie Wilson's War, which was a more bombastic performance. So it's not a super huge surprise that that's the one he gets nominated that's for. That's also the same year as Before the Devil Thinks You're Dead, I believe. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. You're being a little bit too indecisive about the devil. The yeah. devil doesn't just think you're dead. The devil knows it. Um, Listen, when the devil is involved, the, you don't have to be dead. The devil just has to <laughs> think you're dead, and you are. But yes, Paul Giamatti doesn't really get much attention, and probably because it's... It's Paul Giamatti, I would argue, doing what Paul Giamatti does best, what we know Paul Giamatti to do best, but he hadn't... He's done things like play Santa Claus, and he hasn't really gotten to give a Paul Giamatti performance that much. He and had been coming off of his maybe era... a little for granted when this came along. He had been coming off of his era where he played, like, multiple shady music producer types, right? Where, like... <laughs> Wasn't that his role in Straight Out Straight Out of Compton and Love and Mercy? I'm pretty sure, or am I? Uh, I forget. It that. definitely was his role in Straight Out of Compton. He is, but I wasn't that. Also, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but he's definitely in Love and Mercy. Um, but yeah, it had been honestly since Win Win in 2011, where he had mm-hmm. had a really sort of like juicy role to like. Uh, to bite into he's so good a in role that, movie. that had that giamatti juice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh that's a movie we should do at some point that's a good tom mccarthy movie i had forgotten what were we talking about where we got into the screenplay oh when we were talking about young adult uh, that win win <laughs> that win win showed up in a bunch of those uh mm-hmm. precursors for screenplay and but like paul giamatti much like Catherine hahn stays working so like in the years between win win and private life which is only seven years he's in the ides of march and rock of ages and cosmopolis and the congress remember the congress that uh (laughs) animated movie with robin wright and 12 years a slave and saving mr banks and uh of course the amazing spider-man 2 we all remember his performance as rhino in the amazing spider-man 2 and he was always on that list of like when they were going to make that sinister six movie uh from that that particular uh, superhero universe that was on the burner for a while and then poor Dane got dropped. Dehan. Uh, poor Dane DeHaan, indeed. Um, he was in the the Madame Bovary movie that I definitely watched at TIFF my first year at TIFF that nobody ever saw. <laughs> Who was Madame Bovary in that? Was that Mia? Is Vasikowska? that the Mia Vasikowska? Bovary? It is Mia Vasikowska. Mia sure. Vasikowska, Reese Ifans, Ezra Miller, Logan Marshall Green. Um, a very well cast movie. That's probably why I saw it, but like no one ever talked about it. No, he's in San Andreas, a movie I absolutely saw. Um, Straight Out of Compton, Morgan, which we talked about in the IMDb game last week. Um, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, Private Life in 2018. And had he even done like a bunch of television? I think he was mostly like a guest star. On he TV did John stuff. Adams, but that was oh yeah, but that was win win. Exactly. That was 08. Listen, the Tom Hooper Stan is not logging on. Do not uh, <laughs> do not uh, do not confuse me, but the John Adams miniseries is really good. It's really good. Uh, uh Laura Linney uh, another one of, one of my her many Emmy wins. Whoa, that is a statement. The Between John and, and John Abigail Adams. Adams. John it like it really like humanizes these people in a way like uh, that uh, they do it. It's so. It's maybe the best piece of directing that Tom Hooper will ever do at this point. The Adamses haven't seen each other for fucking years. They're on the other side of the world, and these are two people who like 
capital L, love each other while going through, you know, revolutions and shit. And, like, you also think, you know, when you were sailing across the Atlantic, you could just die. The ship could just go down. You could just contract, like, a mold disease on a boat and never see this loved one again. And they could be dead for months before you even know. So she comes to meet him in Paris. He's trying to get France to, you know, fight Britain along with America, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. That shit is boring. But they... He is staying in this, like, mansion, and then she is coming to greet him in the mansion, and they're in some giant, massive private room that has, like, a sofa in it, and they haven't seen each other in years. Keep in mind, they, capital L, love each other. They are alone in this room, like, the little servant people close the door and such, and they start, like, fucking on this chaise. And not just, like, fucking, but, like, I love you so much, and I haven't seen Uh you in years. Please, let's fuck right now. And, uh, it's it's really emotional and great. I did a little bit of digging. Uh, Paul Giamatti, in Love and Mercy, plays Brian Wilson's therapist, who becomes his legal guardian and is sort of a shady uh, influence oh, yeah. over he's his life. He's in the life. Cusack half of Love and Mercy. He's in the Cusack half of it. So it's sort of, he's not a he's not a shady oh. record producer, but he's a shady influence. And the reason the why I Elizabeth thought... The Elizabeth showdown scene is with him. Yes. And the reason why I remember that, though, is that was the year that Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh hosted the Golden Globes. And I remember, I remember really liking the both of them. I thought they both actually did a really good job, particularly Sandberg, who I was a little bit like wary of. Um, and I remember Andy Samberg makes a joke about that, about like, this is the year that Paul Giamatti kept playing like shady music producer types. Once again, we had many film actors nominated for TV roles, such as Paul Giamatti for his incredible work on Inside Amy Schumer. Yeah. It's nice that he was able to find the time away from his other job of playing every music manager in every movie ever. <laughs> the contracts are coming, Cube! I just gotta talk to Stacy Jacks about Brian Wilson! Um, I'm glad um, I figured that out. I'm glad I ironed that out. We'll save it for the Love and Mercy episode, but the Elizabeth Banks yes. stan is also not logging on. Don't confuse <laughs> me, I know that she's annoying. She's really great in that movie. Yeah, listen, I I I have appreciation for many things that Elizabeth Banks has done. Sure, um, sure. Magic Mike Double XL, excellent, perfectly cast. Exactly, exactly. Um, yes. Giamatti, though. Yeah, we're. I feel like we're we have a year ahead of really talking about the sideways snub because he is reuniting with Alexander Payne this year. We'll see how this goes. Um. I'm excited for that movie. I have heard good I'm things about Divine it. Joy Randolph. Oh I have heard God. good things about Divine Joy Randolph in that movie. I'm, uh, it's a good, it's a reteaming that I'm, you know, I'm into. And I think Paul Giamatti is a very good actor who, because of the types of roles he often takes, doesn't always get his due. He takes a lot of small roles. You know what I mean? He is not, he just wants to work. And even if he's not going to get a lead, which is why it's an, it's a good, it's good to see him in a movie like Private Life, where he does get to be the lead, and which this is a movie that writes a really interesting character for him, where he is often tasked as being the heavy in an interaction between the two of them, where he's mm-hmm. the one who pushes for 
the egg implantation and she really, really has huge misgivings about it. And she doesn't want, she ultimately leads up to this great line of hers where she's like, I don't want to be left out. And he also has the scene where he, where she starts blaming like the, you know, the, the feminists of her era for telling her that she could have it all, that she could have a career and then have a kid. And he's like, I don't think it's second wave feminism's fault that we waited until we were 40 or whatever to start wanting to have kids. And she, you know, takes that as a, as an attack against her. And he holds his ground in those arguments, which I think is really interesting and feels very real, right? Where he's like, you know, I'm not going to, it would be a lot easier for all of us if I was just like, no, you're right, of course. But like, he's he holds his ground to that. And he's just like, listen, all I'm saying is, we made choices, and we have to own those choices. And he says it later when he's they're they're talking about, he's talking about how he's secretly relieved that the implantation mm-hmm. didn't go, because now he knows that at least it's over. And this is also a scene that really indicates to you that this is like, because they both get to have these thorny dynamics in the scene that feel way more like real people, but are also still very entertaining. Yeah. Indicates to you that this is a better version of even this type of movie, because I think in a lesser movie, yes, both of those, both of their perspectives would be like the edges sanded off of that, or it would Mm -hmm. become this Mm -hmm. overly sentimental thing, or, you know, he would be either more of an asshole or more of, you know, the, what, like, the one who says something very, like, insensitive or, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it also enforces the bond between these two characters that they can be that level of honest with each other and still... I know other characters talk about how, like, it's really taken a toll on their marriage, and you can see that as a viewer, but I also don't ever feel like they're on the verge of breaking up at any point. Like, right. like their their marriage is strong. Their relationship is strong. They love each other. They are bonded to each other. They're committed to this life of theirs. But they can also be very bracingly honest with each other about this kind of thing, which I imagine the stress and the wear and tear of doing this for so many years, trying to go through these procedures for so many years, would wear down any kind of uh, tact or, um, you know... Not necessarily tact, but like any kind of uh, tiptoeing around these feelings that at some point you're just like, God, I'm too tired to even like, you know, say this the least <laughs> blunt way possible. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to say it, um, which I really like. I think they're a really good couple. And then into this couple comes this Kaylee Carter character who was a great agent of chaos without being like an asshole about it, which I also love. Like Without also being chaotic necessarily she's just 25 right i think in terms of i i mean more of in like a story perspective like right, she's an agent right. of chaos in this like she's a destabilizing uh <laughs> for everyone involved influence. including the supporting character her parents played by molly shannon and john carroll lynch who Ugh. are even they they have uh a marital bond that it's like they're together they can you know not push each other's buttons, but yeah. they could be diametrically opposed to certain things. But yes. you can feel like they are still a very loving, healthy bond unit, whatever. So the dynamic there is that, like, Molly Shannon has Sadie from either a first marriage or a first relationship. And then John Carroll Lynch is her maybe second husband. He's the stepfather to Sadie. And then John Carroll Lynch. And Paul Giamatti are brothers, which is why 
Sadie and Richard are not blood related, which is why it's it's less creepy than it seems on the surface that you know this this guy is having his niece be his egg donor, right? Um, it also so, just creates a more real like this is this is how families yes. are and branch out, you know, while also allowing Richard and Rachel to have this very like close familial bond to Sadie in this way. It's it's. Um, but I also think the dynamic between Molly Shannon and Sadie, which we only really get like two or three scenes to explore, is really interesting, right? Where like there's part of Molly Shannon's character that is embittered or or regretful about choices that she's made or whatever, and so she's being very judgmental and controlling over the way Sadie is living her life. And you can tell she's not happy that Sadie is 25 and still hasn't completed college yet. And you can tell that she doesn't approve of her life choices. And then, so when the news comes out that she's uh, donating her egg, she just flips out. And she's really tremendous in this movie too, actually. Mm -hmm. Is this our first Molly Shannon performance? It might be. To talk about? I think it is, yes. Molly Um, Shannon is so great. Yeah. She's tremendous. Uh, would win the in- or she had won the Independent Spirit Award the year before for other people, I believe, which uh, she's great in. So great, yeah. Even with my minor hangups with that movie, I think that's a good movie with a I really like tremendous Jesse Plemons performance. You and your your beloved uh, very Jesse sexy Plemons in that movie. He's very good in that movie. I like, but he's great in the movie. He's who's great. the guy who he hooks up? Speaking with? Speaking of Zach great Woods? sex scenes, other people has a great sex scene. Is it him and Zach Woods? Is that yes? The... Oh, Zach Woods is so cute. I love him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think Molly Shannon in just a couple scenes is actually really tremendous in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then John Carroll Lynch playing. He has certain modes. He sort of drifts into sometimes he's, um creepy threatening uh, presence in a scene in like the invitation or zodiac or what are other like good creepy john carroll lynch performances um and then sometimes he's just like befuddled decency which is private life or fargo or um what you know what i mean like he 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 sort of goes between it's not just those two kinds of roles but i feel like those are his two you know, kind of dominant modes a little yeah. bit. He's, we talked about him. Well, we should probably get into the six timer of it all right now. This is our sixth, Absolutely. our sixth John Carroll Lynch movie. We have most recently talked about him when we did our episode on private life or uh, this is private. Life, on, <laughs> Very recently. Very our, recently. We talked about his, boy, <laughs> his performance in private life uh, on shutter Island is what I meant to say. He was a, the, he's the warden, right? Um, on yeah. Shutter Island. He plays a lot of wardens too. That's the other thing. Yeah. He plays a good sort of, uh, authority figure in that way. Um, we talked about him in anywhere, but here and crazy, stupid love Zodiac, as I mentioned, where he plays the not officially caught, but like, we all can surmise that that's the guy who we come out of Zodiac thinking like, it's the fucking Zodiac. He's so terrifying. <laughs> um, he's in a thousand acres. He's what the friend of the family who's really judgmental towards the sisters, right? He's really mean uh, to them. Right. And yeah, Shutter Island and now Private Life. So that is six. When we have an actor or actress who we cover in six movies on this podcast, I make a little quiz and I uh, ask Chris some questions. 
where the answers are one or more of these movies. Chris, have you jotted down those six titles so you know? Uh, anywhere but here, Crazy Stupid Love, Zodiac, A Thousand Acres, Shutter Island, Private Life. That is like the full spectrum of the This Had Oscar Buzz experience. Kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's big movies. There's small movies. There's good movies. There's bad movies. There's uh, movies that other people love more than we do. There's movies that we love more than other people do. <laughs> there's movies yeah. that nobody loves. Right. Exactly. Um, yes. All right. So, the, the, like I said, the answers to these questions will be one or more of those six movies. Are you ready to go? I am. All right. Our first is our boilerplate questions, which is the longest. Zodiac. It's Zodiac. Although, for the first time in a while since we've had Zodiac on one of these quizzes, uh, we have another movie that's giving it a little bit of a run for its money. Shutter Island is, I want to say, 139 minutes? 139 minutes. It's pretty long. It's longer than it needs to be. (laughs) Zodiac is 157. Zodiac's a a beast, and uh, every minute perfectly utilized by David Fincher in that one. Uh, (laughs) Which one is the shortest? A Thousand Acres. A Thousand Acres at 105 minutes. Which one made the most money at the domestic box office? Shutter Island. Shutter Island by, I think, a pretty good margin, $128 million. Shutter Island was a big hit. Uh, lowest domestic box office total. Technically speaking, Private Life? Well, yeah, with the exception of Private Life, because Private Life has the Netflix asterisk to it. Uh, anywhere? No, Zodiac. Nope. Okay. There's a lower than Zodiac. Yeah, Zodiac made like 40, I think. Anywhere yeah. but here? Nope, anywhere but here made um 18.6. Wow, 1000 acres. 1000 acres made 7.9 million dollars. Wow, I didn't remember yeah. it was that low. Yes, it was. Uh highest rotten tomato score. Zodiac. Nope. Ooh. Is it Private Life? Private Life, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very, very good. Zodiac was up there, but not as up there. Yeah, was its 90. original reception yeah. was cooler. Zodiac was a 90. Uh, lowest Rotten Tomatoes score? 1,000 Acres. 1,000 Acres, 24. So if you're keeping track, 1,000 Acres is the shortest, uh, <laughs> poorest, and and worst reviewed of all, <laughs> of all six of these movies. So quite the trifecta there for 1,000 Acres. Which two of these movies were Paramount movies? Zodiac and uh, Shutter Island. Yes, exactly. Which movie had cinematography by Roger Deakins? Um, anywhere but here? Yes, anywhere but here. Very good. Uh, which movie was released during Pisces season? <laughs> Zodiac. No, not Zodiac. Oh, really? I think Zodiac was right. It was is the next. Uh, let it me was Aquarius season. Uh, hold on. The answer is Shutter Island. The answer is Shutter Island. Let's see. The uh, Zodiac was released. Oh no, you're right. Zodiac is also Pisces because it's early, early March. Um, yes. Sorry, I made that more complicated mm. than it should have been. Well, oh. no, I think that's still Pisces season. I was like, that might be Aquarius season. I don't know. Whatever. No, I, well, listen, I let Google be my guide with that because, you know, I have a uh, uh, none of my business relationship with astrology. Which of these movies was nominated for the MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss? Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love, yes. Which two movies feature multiple Best Actress winners? Anywhere but here. 
and A Thousand Acres. No. 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 And whoever here is right. It was Susan Sarandon and Natalie Portman. Yes. Crazy Stupid Love. Yes. Julianne Moore and Emma Stone. Which movie features multiple Best Actor winners? Shutter Island. Yes. Who? Ben Kingsley, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Correct. Anyone else? I think it's just the two of them. Feasible to have more. <laughs> sure. Um, but yes, it's just the two of them. Um, which three of these movies were Teen Choice Award nominees? <laughs> Anywhere but here. Nope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love, correct. I think Shutter that Island. Had, like, um, Shutter Island, yes. I think Crazy and... Stupid Love had something like six nominations at the Teen Choice Awards. Sure. Um, and Zodiac? Zodiac. Jake Gyllenhaal got a nomination for Zodiac. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just look at the actors, and like the, the teens will go just for an actor in these awards. Which three of these movies were Golden Globe nominees? Anywhere but here. Yep. Natalie Portman. Uh, crazy Stupid Love. Yep. Ryan Gosling. It's not Private Life, so it's Zodiac, A Thousand Acres, or Shutter Island. I think it was A Thousand Acres. A Thousand Acres. Jessica Lange got a nomination for A Thousand That's Acres. That's right. All right. Which two of these movies feature stars of The Ides of March? Crazy Stupid Love and Private Life. Yes, Crazy Stupid Love has actually two stars of uh, The Ides of March, Ryan Gosling and Marissa Tomei. And Private Life is Paul Giamatti. Which two movies feature stars of Annihilation? Anywhere But Here mm-hmm. and Oscar Isaac, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee is in A Thousand Acres. Yes, uh, Natalie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes. Which two movies feature stars of Lars and the Real Girl? Crazy Stupid Love and Lars and the Real Girl also has Emily Mortimer, who is in Shutter Island. Yes. Also, Patricia Clarkson is in Shutter Island. So you get a two. That's right. She is in Lars and the Real Girl. Yes. She's the doctor, I believe, in Lars and the Real Girl. Yes. All right. Which movie opened the same weekend as Dogma? Dogma? Anywhere but here. Yes. Correct. Which movie opened the same weekend as The Myth of Fingerprints? (laughs) <laughs> a thousand acres a thousand acres and finally which movie opened the same weekend as venom uh private life private life yes uh famously infamously so yes private life uh that is a john carroll lynch six-timer quiz we we honor you our uh creepy scary zodiac cuddly killer. king <laughs> um yeah he's not in this movie much but he he does his um What's Marge Gunderson's husband's name? Hun. She keeps calling him Hun. That's all I can think of. Um, <laughs> whatever. Hun Gunderson. Uh, he's <laughs> he's so good in that movie. Um, maybe he's Hungerson. Maybe. Uh, what else do we want to talk about with this? Have we we haven't talked enough about Tamara Jenkins? I don't think. I think her her. I love an, a director who doesn't have a ton of project you know what i mean she's very like mm-hmm. she's todd field-esque in that way right um and i think when todd field came back with tar there was a lot of ballyhoo right there was a lot of mm-hmm. like a tar you know uh he's only ever made bangers right he's only ever made in the bedroom and little children and now he's back for the first time in forever and 
uh, he's got Kate Blanchett, and I want that reception for when Tamara Jenkins finally comes back with her next movie that like yes, she's please. only ever made great movies. And um, she should also spend her entire award season wearing a bunch of different hats. <laughs> um, Just to really go for the full Todd Field effect. Yeah, I, I yeah. appreciate that. Um, her only Oscar nomination is for the screenplay for The Savages. I think you could make an argument that she should have three screenplay nominees by now. Um, I would agree. I think, I think that's what was the 2018 original screenplay Oscar was not great because Green Book won. Super not great, actually. Green Book won, and also Vice was nominated. Um, the Jesus other three nominees. Um, this is not a good I know, Oscar year. I I know. No, Wilma, it actually is a pretty great Oscar year. There is just multiple pieces of shit. There's highs and lows. That's the thing. Is that Oscar year that Best Picture? Well, I'll just I'll read through before we get off of the screenplay. Uh, Green Book does win for Nick Vallelonga and Peter Farrelly. Um, Vice is nominated. Roma is nominated for Alfonso Cuarón. But then you get uh, and I like the Roma screenplay. I know Roma is you know. High and we should talk about people. the Roma of it. Well, I want to talk about the Netflix at all, so we can culminate that in the Roma thing, because that's a big part of it. Um, the Favorite was nominated for Screenplay, and First Reformed was nominated for Paul Schrader. So that's like, again, 2018, I think you're exactly right, where you get the lows of Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody and Vice, but then it's like Black Panther is a nominee, and, and mm-hmm. The Favorite, and Roma, and A Star is Born, and then... Can you ever y- forgive me? Can You Ever Forgive Me is a two-time acting nomination or nominee. And If Beale Street Could Talk, which Not gets, a Best Picture nominee like it should have been. But. Both of those two movies should have been Best Picture nominees, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that is a shame. Um, but so, right. I want to talk about the Netflix of it all, because 2015, Beasts of No Nation doesn't really do it. And then 2016, 2017, they're kind of treading water, right? They're getting documentary nominations and they're getting short film nominations and they're they're you know allowing not allowing but like that's when like amazon sort of laps them with manchester by the sea getting major awards in 2016 and then at the middle of 2018 they hire a uh, award strategist named lisa tabak who had worked with a bunch of other studios, but pro- most significantly, she had worked with Miramax. And uh, she's and a big Weinstein. name in Oscar campaigning. And she, I remember when that news happened. I remember thinking, "This is a big deal." I think this mm-hmm. is this was Netflix really planning their flag and saying, "We are going to make it a priority, make the Oscars a priority." And you could tell right away they had also by this point ramped up their. Uh, the kinds of films and filmmakers that they were going to be working with 2018, just from the outset where they had the Alfonso Cuaron movie in Roma, they had the new Coen brothers movie with the ballad of Buster Scruggs and they had, um, sorry, I'm going through this sort of, they had the new Paul Greengrass movie. I know not, nobody really likes 22. Nobody July gave a me. shit about that movie and it's not that great. Um, but it's the new Paul Greengrass movie. You know what I mean? It's like uh, right. uh, at the outset, they have Outlaw King, which got a big perch at TIFF. That's another movie that I like that a lot of people don't really care for. Um, uh, so they have a bunch of things. And then they also, as I mentioned before, they're in this kind of era of, 
beloved indie filmmakers were like they have the new Hall of Center movie. They have um The Land of Steady Habits, which is her least successful movie. Mm-hmm. But Netflix has it. They have the new Tamara Jenkins movie in Private Life. They had Noah Baumbach's Meyerowitz stories in 2017. And so they have this arsenal, you know what I mean, of stuff to work with. And they have multiple um, contenders. But I think with the Lisa Tayback of it all, you could tell that, like, part of the game here is triangulation of, of strategy. And I think from a very early moment in that year, you could tell that, like, Roma is going to be the Netflix priority mm-hmm. and they are going to they didn't really... produce it they picked it up right but roma like if you were paying attention to the whispers like roma was a story well before the fall festivals like yes there were rumors about it possibly being at can if depending on what the timing was because i'm pretty sure they bought it before it was announced that netflix would be releasing that movie uh that's probably why it wasn't at can right Right. And and I think one of the things, one of the aspects of this Netflix award strategy was getting the word out about these movies, if not necessarily in the public, then like through the sort of whisper network of people who talked about the Oscars and people who were insiders in Hollywood. I absolutely remember hearing, and I am not a person who has back channel connections, but I remember hearing that marriage story was going to be a big thing early in 2018. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't normally hear those things. So if I was hearing about it, a lot of people were hearing about it. And I think that's part of, that's one of those aspects of the game there where it, so much of Oscar strategy is perception. So much of Oscar strategy is just telling people to perceive a movie as an awards contender. I think that was one of the mm-hmm. things that A24 did so smartly with everything everywhere all at once. It's from a very early stage. They had made it pretty clear that like we are going to support this movie as an awards contender. And I think as the year went on, people viewed that movie increasingly through that lens. I think that's what Universal did with Get Out very smartly mm-hmm. in 2017 was that was a February release. And from like, from February they were holding events and they were having uh, things where they were inviting Academy members to see that movie. And I think it, it alerted people to the fact that this is not just a crowd pleaser. This is not just a box office movie. This is a movie that we are going to have people appreciate through the lens of best of the year. And I think that, Netflix started to do that then with Roma in particular in 2018. And that movie by the fall festivals was seen as the front runner, which, you know, with all the complications that that entails. And I think that's been the next Netflix hurdle that they still haven't gotten over. They still have never won best picture. And I think there's, I mean, that's the that's the game, right? That's how mm-hmm. you figure out winning Best Picture is so difficult because all it is, it's capturing the lightning in the bottle of the zeitgeist, and you just don't know. There's no predicting, and not losing hold of the reins because that's what I would argue happened with Power of the Dog, and uh-huh. I think at a certain point there, it's not just a backlash to streaming; it's also a backlash to the amount of money that they spend. They spent an insane amount of money on Roma and Power of the Dog. And it's yeah. like, at a certain point, if you're the front runner, I don't know, it becomes cloying. 
There's a there's an easy resentment towards Netflix for a lot of obvious reasons. I think the industry tends to resent how much Ted Sarandos is very overtly looking to disrupt and subvert the traditional theatrical model of distribution. So there is resistance to them as an entity. I think one of the successes of Netflix is that they have been able to put the focus on the films that they want to put the focus on. And so it's tough to be resentful of Netflix when you love Martin Scorsese so much. And so The Irishman gets a ton of nominations. It's tough to be resentful about Netflix when you've got a Jane Campion movie that is so, you know, self-evidently good. But then they enter into these seasons Rome is a front runner. The Irishman's a front runner. Mank is seen as a front runner, even though I think Mank's status as a front runner felt almost more effective for other studios to sort of have a rallying point against, because I think Mank was probably never going to win Best Picture. But I think other places could be like, Netflix thinks they can just waltz in here with a black and white movie about Hollywood history and, and you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Mank rules. I love Mank. Um, uh, incredible ciphered performance. But also, like, their spending is insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their spending for, is insane. For whatever they decide their pony is, which, like... Right. The number tossed around for what they spent on just the awards campaign for All Quiet on the Western Front that has gone around is $100 million. Right. And that movie was not their top pony until very late. But that feels like a lesson learned from Miramax, too, right? Where it's just like, be shameless. Mm -hmm. Be like, you know, ultimately this kind of stuff pays off. And I and it will. Eventually, Netflix is going to win Best Picture. Like, it's not like, I don't think this is going to continue on forever. It's just a matter of finding the right movie. But it is interesting that you have these... Who who could have really predicted... I know there were people who predicted that Green Book was going to have a lot of success, but like you can never tell from year to year what's going to be a Green Book year, what's going to be a Parasite year, what's going to be a Coda year, what's going to be an Everything Everywhere All at Once year. And there's no, for as much as Netflix, I think, has mastered the fundamentals of the attention economy, the economy economy, and the the filmmaker, the talent economy, all that stuff, they've gotten everything, they've aced the test, right? They are an A student, and what they haven't quite figured out, which is the hardest part, is that zeitgeist of it, right? That that Mm -hmm. finding... The timing of it, the the passion of it, and Netflix seems to always end up with the dispassionate, impressive movie. I don't always agree with the consensus on that. I was very passionate for a movie like Roma. I was very passionate for a movie like The Power of the Dog, but not everybody was. And I think those are movies that tend to, the Netflix of it all tends to lend itself towards an interpretation of big soulless um spectacle because that's what netflix's strategy is as a company the nature of netflix is content right like right is so much like we're recording this the weekend that uh beef is airing is premiering and right first time i've wanted to watch a netflix series in a very long time i will say that but it's also like by the time this episode airs people if if history remains true of what happens to Netflix series, people aren't going to be talking about the show. Well, that like, you're right, but that that I think is 
a endemic of all of television. I don't think that is unique to Netflix. That happens with Apple shows and Hulu shows, and and it doesn't it's, happen to HBO shows. Well, that's HBO's superpower. HBO is still able to, you know, but they are maybe the only ones. But that is that is also a part and parcel of people's habits, right? People are still mm-hmm. in the habit of. Sunday nights watching the new HBO show and they've been able to hold on to that thank god because it's the only thing that still feels like actual real television is you know HBO stuff in the way that we talk about that stuff and but yeah I think Netflix as much as most of these other uh, streaming platforms does does there... not there's a certain lack of object permanence with Netflix movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the culture. And so when it comes to a movie like Private Life, a great movie. A great movie. It's not a hospitable home for a movie like this. It's just Well, when not. you have all of these movies, all of these titles, and I guess like studios do have this too, but there's a there's a there's an avenue when a studio is releasing something into theaters that the possibility exists for a groundswell, right? The possibility exists that something is going to catch on more than you thought it would and be a niche success. And I just think that Netflix doesn't offer that opportunity for its smaller or like mid-level movies because either you're a Roma, you're a Buster Scruggs, which, you know, not everybody's a Coens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the Coens and the Oscars are a a special relationship but like other than those movies in 2018 there was just a lot of movies that fell through the cracks and ultimately just did not get any attention and mm-hmm. private life was one of those movies which is a shame because it was really it's a great. real shame because you can see this movie being somewhere else you know you can see why Tamara jenkins's first two movies were searchlight movies and this one is not because of what was going on with fox at the time but, but even like, with what was going on with fox at the time they got can you ever forgive me to three oscar nominations two of them right. in acting categories like, and the favorite to what 10 oscar nominations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that's, but I think specifically of Can You Ever Forgive Me, because in terms of scale and scope and size, that's comparable to Private Life. That's what this movie needed was somebody, you know, a studio to, and again, we've talked about it, Best Actress was a beast that year. It was really tough. It would have been really tough to get a Katherine Hahn nomination, but, but it would not have been tough to have gotten Jenkins another screenplay nomination. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's the Netflix of it all. I think I find it a very fascinating subject, even though sometimes it's a depressing subject and sometimes it's a, you know, a little infuriating of a subject. But I think that that switch that Netflix made in 2018 to becoming to sort of like they became a major Oscar player because they decided to, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because they hired somebody who they knew would put them into the game and it happened instantaneously. They've had multiple Best Picture nominees in f- three of the last five years. Mm-hmm. 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, three of the last five years, they've had multiple Best Picture nominees. I'm going to be very curious to see what type of lesson that they have learned from All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, because I do think that that pivot was not immediate, but they 
it felt like the first time that they were responding to what people were responding to rather Mm -hmm. than pushing their, you know, chosen major contenders. Um, This is going to be a very interesting year, though. 2022 was seen as a down year for Netflix just in terms of the projects that they had in their arsenal. It was all quiet on the Western Front, which had to be sort of gathered from the bin of of ignored <laughs> festival titles because like white noise didn't really connect and bardo didn't really connect but this year they've got maestro which is going to be big you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's almost certainly that's the bradley cooper leonard bernstein movie which is going to be major but they've got there's fewer movies this year that jump out from netflix as what their slate will be but there's also time for them to buy things as well you know so they have this movie pain hustlers that i do think is going to be a possible emily blunt play for best actress that's a new david yates movie which feels very big short wolf of wall street sort of that kind of thing about like big pharma they've got the new fincher movie which i don't think is going to be a netflix play uh or going to be an oscars play but it's uh David Fincher and Andrew Kevin Walker reuniting for the first time since Seven. That uh, could Mike... honestly be a thing in its favor because David Fincher going for Oscars doesn't necessarily yeah. pan out in the end. You know, looking at... Well, I'm yeah. sure it th- it's never his intention as an artist, but when something is decided that that's going to be a project, it hasn't yeah. always worked out. They've got this Nicole Kidman, Zac Efron, Paperboy reunion <laughs> thing happening with... Um, a family affair, but that looks like it's going to be like a holiday season, just comedy, comedy. I don't just think saying, that's going to be a better scene. be on this him in this one too. Um, give me a second. Uh, there's a movie that Sam Esmail is directing with Julia Roberts. That Sam Esmail is the Mister Robot mm-hmm. guy, but he's also, um, uh, he had done that show Homecoming for Amazon that Julia Roberts was on that I thought mm-hmm. she was quite good. The movie is called Leave the World Behind. I think a lot of people, and it releases December seventh supposedly a lot of people are talking about that as an oscar play to me that seems like and i know this is going to make you blanch uh that seems like almost like a bird box thing i was going to say the same example yeah especially for when they've timed it yeah and just like the vibe of it's a sci-fi movie it's a sci-fi sort of like post-apocalyptic dread you know nobody quite knows what's going on julia roberts and ethan hawk are a married couple and and mahershala ali sort of shows up at their doorstep and uh bad things are happening I'm excited for it, but I do feel like Mm -hmm. they're positioning that as kind of a bird box thing. Um, They've got two other biopics, too, that I think have potential, them being uh, Rustin. Uh, We'll be very excited to see uh, Coleman Domingo finally get an Oscar nomination if it happens. And uh, Nyad for uh, Annette Bening. Uh, If this could finally get Annette Bening her Oscar, and it's good, Yes, uh, LFG. They also, I know this is not a movie you are super excited about at Sundance, but they have the Sundance movie Fair Play that is going to get released at some point this year. And sorry, I'm just going through. I think that's probably more likely to be a movie that burns hot and heavy on and gets people talking for a weekend and goes away. Sure. They also have a, another biopic, uh, the the John Ridley Shirley Chisholm movie that is uh, mm-hmm. Regina King in that role. So yeah, they have some horses here and maestro is obviously going to be i think obviously going to be the big one but 
again, they have shown an ability in recent years to have two, right? They had The Irishman and also Marriage Story. They had Mank and also uh, Chicago 7. They had The Power of the Dog and what was the other one in 2021? They had two of them. Oh, my. Shit. This is the Katie Rich rule where the the most recent years are the hardest to remember. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Give me a second. What was that? What what were they sending? Uh, they had Lost Daughter. They had... Lost um, Daughter wasn't a Best Picture nominee, though. It was... No. Um, almost was. Almost was. Oh, God. This is There's a reason why we didn't remember it. It's Don't Look Up. Um, oh, right. Power of the Dog Ugh. and Don't Look Up were both Best Picture nominees. So anyway... Um, it could be Maestro and something else. It could be Maestro and acting attention for Coleman Domingo and Annette Benning and Regina King. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, it's one of those things where I don't root for Netflix, but I root for a lot of Netflix movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. they 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 partner with talent that I really love. They partner with movies that I often really love. And uh, I don't I don't like Netflix as Netflix, <laughs> but I like a lot of what Netflix produces, especially in films. So there we are. What else do we want to talk about? Uh, uh, we want to talk about the great um, erotic comedy of our time that is Catherine Hahn at the Actress Roundtable this year. Oh my God, we have to talk about this. Okay. People will lose their minds and be so justifiably angry at us if we don't talk about the love story that is Catherine Hahn and Rachel Vice. And give us the whole lineup table. though first, because this was the one. This was everybody is in red, right? Everybody's wearing I red. I do think that this is my favorite lineup. By the way, it's a good one. Uh, it's so memorable. It should always be dress, the they best sh- round table, but it is the best lineup. The lineup is obviously the aforementioned Catherine Hahn and Rachel Vice, Glenn Close and Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. producing all of the memes of Glenn Close. That's the funny thing. Over at Gaga. So That good. was the early meme frontrunner was Glenn Close and Lady Gaga sort of like over the shoulder shots and whatnot. And they were, of course, at that point seen as the two frontrunners for Best Actress. Um, and then Regina King and Nicole Kidman. And when it feels like the afterthought of your roundtable is Nicole Kidman. Exactly. That's pretty fucking great. Exactly. That's a great year. So all the attention's on Glenn Close and Lady Gaga initially. And like they're they deliver, right? As celebrities, mm-hmm. they both deliver. And and it's great. But then the, the you watch the whole thing, and immediately my takeaway is Catherine Hahn is so infatuated with Rachel Weiss. Yes. And and you can it's as plain as day. Every time Rachel Weiss is talking, Catherine Hahn is looking deeply into her eyes. She's so um it's again, it's like watching it somebody inspired fan cams constantly. <laughs> it's like watching two people on a first date where one person is very fascinating and the other person is like falling in love with them in front of your eyes. She's the Oprah every... thing. Were you infatuating or were you infatuated? Catherine Hahn finds every excuse to like put her hand on Rachel Weiss's hand or like her hand on her arm. And she's so complimentary about everything. And she, um, is like fiddling with her hair in this very sort mm-hmm. of like nervous energy kind of way. Um, we've all been Rachel, or we've all been Catherine Hahn in this situation with somebody, yes, especially some when Rachel Vice speaks. Well, and the other thing about it is Rachel Vice has this sort of 
power over all genders and gender expressions, right? We're like you everybody's into Rachel Vice. And And so, Rachel Vice, let it be known, is into everybody. That's the thing. There is this ambisexual energy that she places out into the universe. And Catherine Hahn also has that receptive to anything energy about mm-hmm. her too. So of course when I tweeted the short little video I had of the two of them and sort of Catherine Hahn reacting to her, that tweet still gets every once in a while I'll get a notification because mm-hmm. like lesbian Twitter was all over it. Absolutely <laughs> all over the Rachel Vice Catherine Hahn thing. There and are several Rachel Vice clips of this because this is also the season where it was fun to get it before it got real fucking annoying and like aggressive when you would get the gay rights to say gay rights in person because there was also the video of olivia coleman and rachel vice saying gay rights <coughs> um, on the favorite red carpet yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yes but there's also my my low-key favorite rachel vice video that sometimes will just like spread like wildfire like the fucking santa annas it will just be on twitter for four days is rachel vice at at some event and they're like so what are you excited for tonight and she's like i'm excited to look at all the beautiful girls all the beautiful girls (laughs) it's the best it's fantastic and of course the greatest rachel vice quote of all time they ask some like insinuating question about her and Daniel Craig related to their sex life. And she said, we didn't marry each other to play chess. Um, I've never heard that before. That's you've never, how have I never said that quote to you before? I don't know, but that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, They're like asking her about their sex life and she's like, well, we didn't marry each other to play chess. That's a hot relationship right there. Um, I mean, I don't go in for the even though Darren Aronofsky and I are in a very tense spot in our relationship right now. We are we're not, happy to move on whenever we can, but like uh, yes, I'm not yes. Un, I'm not under speaking terms with him at this point after the whale, and yet I will be be there for him for the next movie. I am willing to wipe the slate clean. He is. When when he and I connect, uh, I think his movies can be really good. So I don't always... I think there is a, a gay Twitter tendency to villainize Darren Aronofsky from uh, previous to this, from his sort of uh, uh, personal relationships. And I think I don't tend to get into that. But I will say, Rachel Weisz moving from Darren Aronofsky to Daniel Craig is one of the great upgrades in Hollywood relationship. Well, you know their sex life is great, probably better, because there's less scarves in the way. <laughs> it's true. They do tend to get in the way. Um, can we talk about the m for gs for a second? Absolutely. This movie is nominated for Best Grown-Up Love Story, loses to what they had, the Blythe Danner dementia movie where Hilary Swank is her daughter. Not a bad movie. That lineup, we could definitely uh, we've do co- every single movie in that category. We've covered three of them, and we sh- we will at some point cover the fourth of them, even though one of the the one half of this relationship is uh, well and truly canceled. But uh, we've done the old man and the gun, Sissy Spacek and Robert Redford. Great, Great grown up love story, worthy winner. If it had won, we've done All Is True, the Shakespeare laden life movie. Kenneth Branagh and Judy Dench wouldn't vote for them to win, but that's a very M for G's nomination. <laughs> is yes. uh, all is true. And then Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti 
a tremendous, tremendous choice and would Great have choice. made a worthy winner. I've never seen what they had, so I can't speak to Blythe Danner and Robert Forster's love story in that movie. But have you seen that movie? Yes, I, I just said it's a, it's not a bad movie. So, so uh, are they worthy winners? The worthiest winner is Private Life to me. Yeah. yeah. Though, what is more romantic than stealing bracelets together? I'm saying Old Man, old man and the Gun. Like, good gosh. Yeah. Um, no other nominations for the Infragees, although I guess Gmati would have been eligible. He would have been over 50 by that point. I'm uh, just actually. He's only 55 right now. Wow, how young was he for Sideways? Well, oh my god, oh my god, no, no, yeah. no. He's in his that, 30s. That, it can't be possible. It cannot be possible that Paul Giamatti was younger in Sideways than I am now. He was like 37, 36, 37. Get ready. Get ready. Um, your your life from here on out is just... Do you know how many real housewives are younger than me right now? Do you know how off, off-putting I'm, and I'm happy, and horrendous I'm, that is? This is the moment. This When Adele talked about her Saturn return. <laughs> this is this it. This is mine. It's all crashing down on you right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Where were you when you realized Paul Giamatti was younger than you in Sideways? Than you what are? won the most recent best grown-up love story at the Infragees? Last oh, year, what would that have been? Good luck to you, Leo Grant. That was a good one. Good call. If, 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 it is about her learning to love herself. If it, I know. We've if, had this it, If the love story is self-love, because their story together is not a romantic relationship. But it's a good relationship. I think it's, I think, if not necessarily strictly romantic, I think they're, it's a relationship. I'm fine with it. Here's the thing. You know that, what's underrated about that movie? The third act waitress in that movie. Yes. So She's good. Spectacular. Loved, Loved her. her. Can I say, though, and I haven't seen Lady Chatterley's Lover, another Netflix movie that played festivals that could have, like, that and All Quiet on the Western Front had the exact same profile heading into the fall season. Mm-hmm. And um, I never saw that one. Emma Corrin and Jack O'Connell are nominated for Best Grown Up Love Story. They are at most 30, right? Right. Emma Corrin is 27 years old. Jack O'Connell is 32 years old. What the fuck, Emphrages? We thought we had an ethos They're here. like, but it's an old book. Right. <laughs> like, the book's old. <laughs> Maybe that. Um, but the Emphrages will pull this every once in a while, where you're just like, what's what are we talking about? But especially grown-up love story. The whole, like, the idea... I guess it's a love story that grown-ups would appreciate, but, like, you're really pushing it here, y'all. Like, come on now. I don't know. I don't know. I'm dubious. All right. Um, I'm going to refer to my notes because I think I got everything. Molly Shannon carving the Thanksgiving turkey when she's furious in that scene after (laughs) she finds out that Kaylee Carter is donating the egg is so funny to me. Um. When they're getting their injections, uh, Kaylee Carter, Sadie says, this is so glamorous. We're like drugstore cowboy. Um, I thought that was funny. Sadie and the the guy from You're the Worst going on the date uh, to see the Phil Spector <laughs> documentary was <laughs> very funny to me. Um, da, 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 da. The film forum calendar on their refrigerator. Uh-huh. Oh, like so many. The, the piles of books behind their bed on like the windowsill behind their bed is so incredibly telling of this like Lower East Side 
uh, apartment that they have. Oh, just the the term oocyte is uh, <laughs> feels very much like you know if you 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 find a term like that, and you're going to find as many ways to use it in your movie as possible. So I'm into that. But yeah, Private Life, a great movie. The scene where they the jump back in time where they have the potential uh mother that uh will oh, a potential that, mother she, this is a potential i don't even watch housewives <laughs> and like i'm so ingrained in housewives culture this is part of the reason why i don't watch is because it's like do i need to you, i you, still get all of the good stuff anyway. from everyone else secondhand yeah, yeah exactly. um very intimidating franchise because there's so much of it. Uh, I understand. It's, it's like jumping into Double Touch. This it's is why just... I'll never get into Pokemon. Like it's just too much by now. There's too there's, there's too much has yeah. happened. Yeah. Um. Did watch Ultimate Girl Strip though because Alex McCord is coming on to one, so I have to watch. <laughs> one. Uh, I, I do know very beginning Roni. Um. Okay. No, the scene, the the whole sequence of them getting completely played by this young woman who may not have ever been probably wasn't even pregnant they have to go is, to arkansas north carolina where do they go mm-hmm. because you get the call back in that final shot of them waiting in that applebee's which mm-hmm. is which mirrors the them waiting for this woman to show up you know for their meeting and she never does and they never hear from her again and it likely she was playing them she was never even pregnant it's one of the most brutal fucking sequences i've ever like just yeah, the, it's a gut punch it's uh, so painful um we started this episode talking about food we're going to end this proper uh, conversation before we get into the imdb game talking about food what you're you're sitting at an applebee's booth you're waiting for somebody to maybe arrive what are you ordering you can't do this. You really can't do this to me. I am, I am I'm trying gonna. to I'm eat gonna. well, and I don't want to talk about all the fried shit that I want to eat. But, like, I mean, I, I'm – listen, I am somewhat of a toddler when it comes to food, but I, I want nothing more in the world than I want a fried mozzarella right now. This is the um, thing is you go to – I've never ordered – I've maybe never ordered an entree at Applebee's in my entire life. That's probably not true, but almost always when I go to Applebee's, it's an apps. Uh, it's not. A, I don't order the app. The oh, entree that? portion of that menu is purely ornamental. It is. You go, it's not real. You go with your friends or maybe your sisters or whatever, and you just you order a selection of apps, and then you just sort of pick and choose from the apps. Mm-hmm. You get your boneless barbecue wings. You get your spinach artichoke dip. You get your mozza stick, mozzarella sticks. You get your little tiny tacos. Uh, it's a time. It's a good time. You know what also is ornamental on that menu? Not what? just the entrees, but the appetizer that is a selection of apps. No, 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 no. No, no you no, get no, your individual. You get the individual apps. For? And then you pick no. and choose. It's great. Also, we have talked about this before. We used to do apps and desserts, right? You order some apps, you get a dessert, you're good to go. Not so much anymore because they used to have this chocolate cookie hot fudge sundae. That was oh the greatest thing ever. And it was just this like big old chocolate chip cookie with like a scoop of ice cream and some hot fudge and some whipped cream. And it was the greatest. And you got multiple people who would pick at it. So you didn't feel bad that you were having this entire Sunday and they don't offer it anymore. It's really too bad. And I'm kind of sad about it. I see. My thing is, oh, no, I don't. I mean, Applebee's is not really the selection for me. 
Granted, your... I would say Applebee's is not super convenient here. Are you a Chili's but... girl? Are you a mm, IHOP? No, it's never really been Chili's. It's like, I don't know. I guess, what even like chain? If I, it, I mean, the god tier of chain restaurants is Olive Garden. I mean, where else right. can you be in the world where you're there, your family? For whatever reason, Olive Garden has disappointed me lately. And I wonder if... First of all, they've taken, once again, my favorite menu item off of the menu, which was the steak gorgonzola Alfredo, which was my go-to entree mm. at Olive Garden. Uh, now I'm a little bit uh, at odds and ends over what to order as an as an entree at Olive Garden now. But the, the breadsticks and the salads are what you go there for. And honestly, they don't disappoint. It's the most basic out-of-a-bag iceberg salad. <laughs> for whatever reason, the thing where they come with the weird little, like, grindy thing of of Parmesan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. something alchemical in that, man. Like, I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, I'm also going to show my age and... Uh... Please, if this is a company that is fiercely Republican and like <laughs> donating to Trump, do not tell me. Uh-huh. Um, I I should get an early A P card for saying this. I love a Mimi's Cafe. Oh, I've never experienced a Mimi's Cafe. Is that a regional it's, thing? It is very. Um, it is all of those things, but it is you know, it, it you know, there's like a mural of a vineyard. Oh, it's it's, see, it's that's like nice. that. Like Did that. you ever have Perkins when you when you were growing up? No. See, some of this is so regional. Too, Perkins was like, like a Denny's. Was essentially like like the the right. where the Perkins used to be is now a Denny's, but they had, and I know that like now everybody has chocolate chip pancakes, but it felt like at the time like they were the pioneers of the chocolate chip pancake mm. fad, and they were tremendous. That is a place I remember. Uh, one of the last smoking sections that I remember in a restaurant where like. The kids don't know. The children don't know. You would go into a restaurant and they would say smoking or non-smoking, and you would have everybody in the non-smoking section. Not that it mattered. Like the non-smoking, the smoking section was not very far away, and it's not like it was like sealed off behind like a steel yeah. door or anything. They were just all smoking. A Denny's at the back is of the basically an open air experience. There's right. a whole like right slanted roof. It yeah right. This is the thing. Is I don't smoke i at the height of my smoking i never really smoked much but i miss smoking culture i miss vending machines with cigarettes i miss every time i go to like every time i go to las vegas i've been to las vegas like twice but like the idea that you can smoke inside the casinos is magical to me like all of that stuff is like a weird nostalgia for smoking culture that i am shamefacedly nostalgic for i don't know anyway we should do the imdb game yeah, why don't you tell us what the IMDb game is? I suppose I could. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. I've been calling it the past few weeks. What? A, what? 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 Listen, let's let's talk about your needs. Okay. Let's for once. Let's talk about your needs. <laughs> Thank you. What do you need? What do you want? Do you want to give or guess first? I will give first. I'm a okay, giving person. Cool. All right. Do you have for me? So I went into the cast of The Slums of Beverly Hills, a fine movie that I do want to rewatch very soon. I thought about Natasha Leone for a second because we haven't done her. But a little bit farther down the cast list is an actress who burned brightly for a very short amount of time. Uh, Miss Mina Suvari. 
Ah, Mina Sufari. Okay, no television. What's that? No television. Yeah. What television has she done? She was on Six Feet Under for like a season. Oh, uh, okay. American Beauty. Yes, correct. American Pie. Yes, correct. Um, was she in that movie Spun? <laughs> she may have been in. She seems about right for that movie. That was what she. I feel like I remember seeing a still where she's got really bad teeth because it's a movie about people who are addicted to drugs. Spun would have been like early. Yep, she was in Spun 2002, but uh, no, that is not on her IMDb. Okay. Wait, let me get the um, cast list for Spun because everybody in that movie, it's like, yep, that's about right. It's, oh, it's a Jonas Ackerland movie. Jonas Ackerland yeah. did a bunch of music videos back in the day. He did Ray of Light. Possibly. I say. He's done some Gaga videos too. Uh, so this cast is um, Jason Schwartzman, who seems like the least Spun type of all these, but John Leguizamo, Patrick Fugit, Brittany Murphy, Mickey Rourke. Mina Suvari, uh, Debbie Harry, Josh Peck, Eric Roberts. Like, that is your Peter Stormare as mullet cop. Um, uh, that is... What else would he play in that movie, of exactly, course? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, quite the uh, quite the lineup there for Spun. Anyway. All right, so I have one wrong answer. Yes. Still waiting on two more movies. The thing with Mina Suvari is that they're all going to be fairly close together, I'm guessing, the way that the algo works. I wonder if... I don't think she comes back for the other American Pie movies. Does she? Because um, American Pie 2 could be in there. But... The gay experience of watching American Pie is why is Natasha Leone not more in more of this movie? Yeah, she's she's because her like two scenes, she's fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. What else? I didn't. I did, forgot that she's in Slumps of Beverly Hills. Um, I had two actually. She's in a comedy like Drop Dead Gorgeous, but it's not Drop Dead Gorgeous. It's um. Mm. That's going to bug me. I'm just going to say American Pie 2. It's not American Pie 2, although she is in that movie. So uh, there okay. you go. Your missing years are 2000 and 2005. Okay. So 2000 <sighs> would have been the year in between the first two American Pie movies. Uh-huh. And the year after um, American, American Beauty. Beauty. Um, She's the second lead in it. She's the main love interest. It is an American Pie reunion. Oh, it's Loser. It's Loser. Who directed Loser? Loser? Amy Heckerling? Yes. Yes, Amy Heckerling's Loser. Um, I've wanted to rewatch that movie since theaters because I remember, like, defending it because Owen Glaberman gave it an F. It's not an F. It's not an A, but it's not an F. It's an interesting movie. Um, uh, The poster, unfortunately, has Jason Biggs doing this, making the the L Loser sign. Um, the tagline is also by Glee. The tagline is also "Dare to be different," which, ugh. Um, the thing I mostly remember about that movie is he's like friends with these three awful dudes who all hate him, and it's they're played by uh, Zach Orth, Tom Sadowski, and Jimmy Simpson, and uh, they the all exactly that's who was in my mind of playing three. Uh-huh. Awful dorks. Even though Tom Sadowski looks so... Every outfit he has is, like, the 
gayest possible outfit. And I like, like, honestly, he's got like, just like velour open, like open to his navel shirts and all of this. this Fashion wise for the youths, even straight men, it was a pretty gay. Losers a real interesting fashion moment just in general of like how what everybody wears in that movie including. All uh, I substantively remember is I think Mina Suvari has an affair with maybe a professor professor. who might be Greg Kinnear and there's portions Uh of the movie set in a vet clinic. Uh, I think both of those things are true. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, Okay, the other movie you said was 2005. 2005. She's not on the poster. She's not one of the top build stars. So already by 2005, um, this is another movie with a real interesting cast. Is this um, the wedding date? Isn't she... Some... No, you're thinking of Rumor Has It, where she's the um, the bride right. in Rumor Has It. Wow, this cast. Um, this director is, is not alive anymore. Is it? Altman, is she in Dr. T and the Women, a movie we have talked about on this podcast and also the mixed reviews? Um, Tara Reed's in that. It's Tara Reed. Yes, that's the American Pie star who is in Dr. T and the Women. That would have been what year? 99? 2000. 2000, I think. Yeah. Uh, No. Mina Savari is not in Dr. T and the Women. She is. I will say it's not Beauty Shop, even though she is in Beauty Shop, and that I believe was right around that at that time. Um, she's one of like the two white characters in that. You're movie. saying this McCoy. cast, so I'm imagining it's a large ensemble. It is, even though it has like a star. Like there is a star of this movie, but mm-hmm. like the ensemble cast is deep and peculiar. A director who has since passed. Yeah, who made a lot of movies, um, uh, has passed away. It actually um, wouldn't be Altman because he was dead by then. Yeah. No, no. When was Prairie Home No, Home it was Prairie Homecoming. It was the next year, so he That's would 06. die very soon. Um, yes. Yeah, hmm. she's like down, 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 down this cast list. Um that's interesting. Okay. Who is this an Oscar winning director? No, although his brother is. Well, his brother's an Oscar Tony Scott. director. Yes, Tony Scott. Is it Man on Fire? It's not Man on Fire. That was I want to say 03. This is kind of a this is a flop, I'm pretty sure. Um it was kind of ballyhooed for a while though, as it was in production. I remember be, people being very interested in it. Um oh God, a I can't change of what... pace role for the lead actress. It's a it's uh, it's headlined by an actress. A change of pace role in the same year that she uh, was Oscar nominated. Oh, okay. Someone nominated for an Oscar in 05. Yes. Mm. Okay, so... Supporting... Well, no, I'll, I'll be able to get there. Um, so, Reese Witherspoon wins. Is it Reese Witherspoon? It's not Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, Felicity Huffman. Oh, it's Domino. It's Domino. Kira Knightley as Domino Harvey and Domino. Wow. Uh, I need you to listen to this cast. No, it's crazy. The the three above title stars are Kira Knightley, Mickey Rourke, and Edgar Ramirez. Um, Edgar Ramirez, would Carlos have even been by that point? I don't think so. This was like a pre-Carlos 
Edgar Ramirez, which is really interesting. Maybe, yeah. Delroy Lindo, Monique, Macy Gray, Dabney Coleman, Lucy Liu, Jacqueline Bissett, Dale Dickey, Christopher Walken. This is like all people we love. Mina Suvari. Like, Tom Waits playing a character just called Wanderer, which is perfect. So he's playing Tom Waits. Great. Um, Jerry Springer as himself. Brian Austin Green as himself. Ian Ziering <laughs> as himself. Like, what the fuck? I've never seen this movie. Um, I, f- I feel like I remember hearing that it wasn't very good. But I may have to now just for uh, that cast just I in mean. general. I mean, come on. Gabrielle Carteris also as herself. Okay, so there was clearly a whole uh, 90210 angle to this. Domino Harvey was a real person, right? That was the whole thing? Yeah. It was a, yeah. yeah. Model turned possible assassin? Yeah. Bounty sure. hunter. Bounty hunter. Um, anyway, yes. What is the distinction between a bounty hunter and an assassin? A bounty hunter feels like it's a little bit more... Uh, a bounty hunter doesn't necessarily take out the, their target. They capture... They're catching them. They're catching them for... Um, usually for quasi-legal, extra-legal sort of purposes or whatever, sure, right? Sure, 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 Sometimes they can be hired out privately, I imagine. Um, an assassin's just going to kill somebody. Okay. Great job, me. Great job, For you, uh, I went super basic. We surprisingly have not done her before, per the spreadsheet. Uh, I chose the Oscar winner this year, the great living legend Regina King. Regina King. No television. No television. (laughs) No Watchmen, no 227, no American Crime, no... um, Oh, God. What was that Netflix show she also won an Emmy for that nobody watched? Um... Where she was like seven seconds, something. Um, All right. Beale Street. Yes. Her Oscar win. Yes. Um, Uh huh. Jerry Maguire. Incorrect. Damn it. Yeah, she's too far down the cast list. Jerry, I am freaking out. Um, she's so good. She's so good in that. Um, bah, 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 Boys in the Hood. Also incorrect. Damn. Okay. All right. So your years are 2004, 2005, 2021. 2004 has got to be Ray. It is Ray. Should have been nominated. Yeah. She's great in that. Uh, 2005, did you say? Yes. 05, Regina King. Um... Is it a movie I've seen? I'm positive you've seen this. Okay. How far down the cast list would she be, do you think? Probably second. Okay. Absolutely not first, but probably second. I will look. Oh, is it Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous? Thank you for giving the full title. It is correct. (laughs) Fantastic. I think I have seen that movie. I've definitely seen the first Miss Congeniality. Um, I remember she's dressed up as Tina Turner in one scene in that. Um, yes, she d- she performs uh, Proud Mary in that movie. That movie feels like... In full Vegas drag. It could be presented in a double bill with Connie and Carla without a whole ton of... Uh, of yeah, know, I would host that double bill. Whiplash. Anyone across yeah. the country can host me to... Uh, can uh, have me host that gig please play it for my flight is 2021 um, the harder they fall 
it is the harder they fall. That's wild that, that she's great in that movie. I love her in that movie, but that's, that's I bet wild. she's probably second build because mm-hmm. is Idris Elba the villain in that? Yes, I think he, he gets is. an ant credit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would bet that she's second build. Yeah. Uh, good Danielle Deadweiler performance in that movie. That was I'm the first, saying. I think that was the first thing I had ever really made note of her in because that was just before Station uh-huh. 11. Me too. Uh, Me too. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting, that's an intriguing known for, for Regina King, mm-hmm. I have to say. Very good. All right. All right. That's our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar buzz, you should follow us on uh, Tumblr at this head Oscar buzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow our Twitter account at hat underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at this head Oscar buzz. Please join us starting next week as we riff on the AFI format of a hundred and we give you a hundred years, a hundred snubs, five weeks, 20 snubs a week. Very excited. I am on Twitter and letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So give us a five-star review, not a half five-star review, not a half-quarter star five review. Five stars. Slam the fifth star. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz and some stuff. Everyone's a 